Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Trending. How do you keep your kids' phone on lockdown? Are they going around parental settings, privacy settings? Are they getting rid of apps that are supposed to put locks on the phone? We'll talk about that and more with Melanie Hempy from ScreenStrong.com in just a few minutes here. We're going to talk as well today about giving advice to high school to just giving advice to high school students who are discerning career moves. It's kind of a part two of the conversation we had the other day about how I really don't think everyone should go to college and a fascinating conversation surrounding artificial intelligence. AI has been the catalyst for strikes in Hollywood, thousands including screenwriters and actors who are revolting against contracts and negotiation in the days to come because they want protection for their job, job security, and more money in the face of AI influencing all sectors, including Hollywood. Is it the worst thing if Hollywood falls not necessarily. It could be a great thing, actually. It would be a great thing. But I have a lot to say, and I think it's an interesting take when we talk about some of the Catholic Church's teaching on the worker and also what might happen if Hollywood were to fall or if we don't like what Hollywood produces when it's all AI-generated CGI content. So stay with me. Love to hear your thoughts on it. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. We're also taking your questions. The number is 888-914-9149. Joining me today on Trending is Melanie Hempe, the founder of ScreenStrong. It's ScreenStrong.com. It is an incredible network. If you have not learned about ScreenStrong before, it helps parents to take back their kids from the digital world. And everything from behavioral issues, screen addiction, learning disabilities, you name it, ScreenStrong is helping parents to do that. And we've had Melanie on many times discussing how to make that happen. But I want to talk about one of those practical questions that I saw online. Actually, Melanie, you guys have a whole program online, even a Facebook group for parents who are trying to navigate difficult screen issues. And there's a question that popped up that really inspired me to take on because I hear the same question over and over again. And I want to share it with those uh, who maybe are in a similar boat. Uh, This man shared, he said, I'm an IT professional and I'm struggling to keep my 12-year-old daughter from installing apps I don't want her to, and I'm having a hard time enforcing limits on other apps. He said, we all use iPhones, and she disables the Apple screen time in about five minutes. He said, I've tried disabling all known settings, but she can still turn it off. She's getting around everything imaginable. He bought a big to-do subscription program that promised to help take care of things, but after two weeks, yet again, she was able to get around notifications and even temper with the loopholes that the app has now even mentioned it has. So he said, sure enough, that she's disabling everything and has even gotten around security profiles on phone usage. He said, I'm looking for something that's bulletproof. Where do you go from here? And so I want to throw this in your realm, Melanie. 
What do you do when there are behavioral issues just like this surrounding screens and technology for kids? Thanks so much for asking me that question. Thanks for having me on. And I love talking about this because what I like to do, Timory, is just help parents uh, get a reality check and understand that there is nothing you can do. When your kids are playing in the city dump, they will get burned. They will get hurt. They will get all sorts of diseases. (laughs) And so there's no way you can... um, really protect them. And I know nobody wants to hear that, but in my work with this for almost 10 years, I will tell you that if you ever have a tech problem at your home, all you need to do is call an eighth grader and they will talk to their little network of friends and in 10 minutes they'll have the the answer all figured out. So technology, especially on an iPhone, um, iPhones don't play as well with (laughs) other kids on the playground. (laughs) I'll just say it's very hard. We have found over and over and over that the majority of problems come um, from iPhones because of the way the, uh, the system is, is built. It's not built to work well with all the different parental controls. And, but I, I want to just step back for a second. I, I really am very um, interested in you know, this story because it gives us an opportunity to just call it what it is and to say, look, parent, if your child, the, the very first time that your child possibly goes around your limits or goes around your apps or tries to install or reinstall or Mm. disable whatever that's it Mm. that's it that's the answer line so yeah yeah, you have to draw the line and and so we know with any kind of screen addiction the warning signs this cheating and lying and sneaking around is one of the number one warning signs that this kid is in trouble in fact this kid is screaming out to their parents Somebody help me. Look what I'm doing. I cannot help myself. And I think this child, you said, was 12 years old, I think. And that age is, uh, they're, they're such great kids, okay? We've just given them the wrong thing. So they are very intelligent, but they are not mature. They are, the, the warning signs around screen addictions are, you know, they're having meltdowns when they're forced to unplug. The use is increasing over time. It's the only thing that puts them in a good mood. They're sneaking around and they're lying. They're using screen time as an escape. It's replacing mm-hmm. all their hobbies. And it's affecting their relationships with their parents and their school and their friends. Now, when this parent writes in a story like this, and there are just so many parents they are struggling right. with this. I mean, this I don't want anybody to feel today. bad. This yeah, is everybody. Everyone. Yeah. All over the world. It's not yes. even just here in the United States. And, and this there dad is, is in wrong. IT too. And I think that's significant. Like the dad's in IT. Yeah. He's pretty technical, technologically advanced. Yeah. And yet he's so that should make everybody trouble. feel good. Right. Because he's having trouble. And so what this points to is the honest to goodness truth that this is not for kids. This is not for kids. We cannot expect to give them a pack of cigarettes and then tell them all day, okay, by the way, don't smoke a, a cigarette. Like, this is ridiculous what we're asking them to do. So that's the, fir- the first thing is that iPhones are not good, all right? So if your child needs a smartphone, so yeah, for a 12-year-old, exactly. For adults, it's fine, of course. But for a 12-year-old, if you're trying to lock down a phone, it's not going to be an iPhone. And I'm, I'm just saying that out loud. This is what we see. It's not built every, for that, right? It's not, it built, not to built to be a that. piece of technology for a 12-year-old that has all of these right. parental guidelines. There are some that have been built in years later after the fact, but that's not a human-centered design for a child. And I think that's a great that's catalyst right. here. And 
And I have talked to so many Apple geniuses at the Genius Bar and the Apple stores, and they all just look at me and say, why are parents doing this? Why? I mean, this is for real. I'm not making this up. They look at me and they say, this, this is not designed for a kid. So I, I can't, because I go in there and I say, how can you teach me so I can teach my audience? How do we lock this down? And they're like, no, 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 you can't lock it down. So what I want you to think about giving your kid a, a you, would, you would give your kid a bicycle first before you give them a Ferrari, right? So your, your kid doesn't need to start off with the Ferrari, with the iPhone. They need to start off with a flip phone if you're even going to do that. The Gap phone is what we like to use just because there's no internet on it. So we like to recommend that. And there's no problems with limits and all this stuff because it's just the Gap doesn't phones exist. talk on, text only for those who aren't aware of the Gap yes. phone. There are others like it. Actually, I was going to ask you, just real curious here. I'm hearing yeah. about the Light phone. A friend of mine got it. Any thoughts on the Light phone as well as an option? Yeah, the Gab seems to work better. I'm very familiar with the light as well. And for an adult, that may work. It's just a little more, it's just a little more difficult, but, you know, because kids kind of bang their phones up a bunch. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, for the rough and toughness of the Gab, that's probably what you want. And you can go to our website and we have some more information there about that. But that's why we recommend that. So when parents come and they, they say things like, but I trust my child and I know that, you know, I can just have a conversation with them and then they're going to do whatever. And I'm going to say by 12 years old, all that's going to go out the window. Maybe you could mm-hmm. think you could trust them, which you, you can't and you shouldn't. And that's not your job any more than it is for, you know, a coach to trust their whole team. The team has to trust the coach. I mean, we got it all kind of backwards here. But my very first piece of advice is get rid of this phone. This child has proven over and over and over that they are not able to use it in the appropriate way. An iPhone is a toy, and most every other smartphone is a toy in the pocket of a kid. And so it may sound like, oh, we're just kind of being far-fetched, and we're way out there on the fringe. And you know what, Timory, we are not. There are so many parents that are saying, forget it. We are not going to give our kids smartphones. There are plenty of other options, and there is no reason. Mm -hmm. You know, they all have laptops at school, right? So they can get on the Internet plenty, all they need there. But they do not need uh, a smartphone. And this is the biggest reason why. And you're never going to be able to limit it. And I know nobody wants to hear that, but I'm just going to say that nothing is bulletproof. If they're playing in the city dump, they're going to get burned, they're going to get cut, they're going to get diseases. That's all there is to it. You're not going to be able to put them in a baggie, you know, and bubble wrap them and and try to get them to use the Mm -hmm. phone and not get hurt. It's just not. So I know everybody wants some kind of magical answer, and it's it's just not there. And the other thing is, if this is happening, happening in your house is this isn't working so you need to change it and i think that's significant listening to the story of this man you know he's asking for literally any ideas for bulletproof parental control for an iphone again one you emphasize this isn't the way the technology is made it's not meant to be a tool for parents it's not meant to be for kids or teenagers that's not the way it was designed the designers call the user the customer the customer's called a user. Yeah. You're meant to use it. And so, I mean, just as we're talking about this whole thing, what stood out to me, too, and Melanie, what you were mentioning, is at the end of the day, in the story of this man who is an IT professional whose 12-year-old is getting around over every parental setting, everything that tries right. to lock down the phone, clearly this is a behavioral issue. And consequences right. need to right. be a part of the issue need to be a part of the correction. And if the consequences aren't working, something needs to change. And so yeah. that's what's sad, Melanie, is I think this yeah. goes to a parental philosophy occurring today. Everything from yeah. gentle parenting uh, that is very oh, yeah. not human-centered. It's all permissive. And this yes. Is, yeah, yes. and this is the problem. And so the, the issue, uh, the underlining issue is there is really, really nothing wrong with the child. There's kind of something wrong with the parent, right? So 
And I don't want to point fingers, but there's nothing wrong with a kid who takes a phone and tries to get around it. It's a puzzle to them. It's a toy to them. We don't use phones the way that kids use phones. Kids do everything differently than we do. And that's the way it's supposed to be. That's how their brain works. So when that child gets that, she's like, oh, good. Here's another puzzle I can figure out. I'm going to go call my friends. And between all their friends, in fact, she could probably Google it in 10 minutes and find the workaround because it's all on there. I mean, everybody, if you're listening, go Google how to get around iPhone. It's really not that hard to figure out. No, no kidding. Now, there is an app that we are just investigating that I really like that we are hopefully going to be able to recommend to tell parents to go from the gab to Canopy. Canopy is not, not really the same as every other parental control, and uh, we love it. We put it on the... The, every every screen in our house and, and what happens to Marie with Canopy and, and we have a screen strong code if you want to use that and go in there and see about this for yourself but this is the most fascinating parental control even though it's not really a parental control but what right. it does is when you get when you get to a, a site that is questionable like this dad obviously he's trying to keep his kid out right. of bad content right mm-hmm. and what it does instead of just reporting to the parent what it does is it literally uses AI, right? You were just talking mm-hmm. about that. And it, it, blo- it doesn't just block it. It puts a white box over the, the, the media that's in question, whether it's a video or a photo. It is fascinating. And that is where we're headed. Yeah. Okay. And, but then, you know, the bottom line is kids don't need smartphones. They can have a, a right. basic phone that does not have the Internet. And that is your answer. That so is your answer. Little- and it's your other... other mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other let's answer is that parents need to get rid of these blind spots phones. that they have. Yeah. And so, again, kind of getting to some of those, wrapping up your solution, at the end of the day, the kids don't need a phone 12 years old. And I think that's a mindset that needs to be debunked. If you decide to have a phone, I know your philosophy at Screen Strong is to delay, 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 delay. And if and when the time comes, start with, again, a training bicycle and that includes the gab phone which is a great option i will include a link on social media as well as in the episode notes to screenstrong.com the gab phone also the canopy app it sounds like it's looking a little promising if you are deciding to use technology earlier with your children and i'll just mention you know pornography is a big issue with kids today yeah and while as great as different apps are such as covenant eyes i highly recommend end of the day we have to remove the temptation till the body and brain is ready to be able to have self-control in these circumstances so so much could be said here but can you just put a plug for the screen strong families on facebook because i know this is a huge tool of help for parents who are trying to navigate these questions and what i love about the screen strong families on the facebook group is that parents are coming together talking about solutions okay you take away the phone these are some of the activities you need to get into these are some of what's happening with the dopamine detox or the behavior behavioral issue that the screen was a cover for. Yeah, the, that, that forum in there is really good. We have the Screen Strong Families Facebook. And then we also, for all those people who are getting off of Facebook, we have a private forum on our site. But it, it's like free. You get on there and it looks kind of like Facebook a little bit. It kind of acts like that, but it is not social media. So if you're interested, we have a ton of people in there as well and i get in there on video sometime and we talk and we answer questions in there so you you basically need to get yourself connected to a community and we have timory we have our student course coming this fall it is fabulous the best way ever to educate your kids on all of these issues that you were just talking about 
That's Melanie Hempy from ScreenStrong.com. 10 out of 10 at recommend. I just had an incredible story. I'll actually share it when I come back here about a friend of mine who got her kids off of technology. And even in the face of learning disabilities, it was a little bit of a crutch for her to help her get through the day. But her kids are behaving better and it's easier on her. She didn't need the crutch. Crutch was actually making it worse. So I'll share that when I come back and also dive into AI and Hollywood and what's happening. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Do I have an interesting conversation ahead for you? Coming up this Monday on Trending, I'll be talking to a woman who was engaged to another woman, got married at the age of 23 in a same-sex relationship, and she left it all. Originally, she wanted to become an Episcopal priest. And guess what? She is now Catholic and sharing her story. It is a powerful testimony. So be sure to join me this Monday on Trending or catch on the podcast where you can listen on the Relevant Radio app or wherever you catch your podcast. But hey, the Relevant Radio app is free and you can pray there with us as well. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. It's great to be with you on this Friday. There was a question I received earlier in the week that I did want to touch on and tied into a conversation we had about how I really believe that not everyone should go to college. That is a very large conversation that we need to have with people at a much earlier age. I'm talking about middle school, early high school years. It's not fair that we're having the conversation we are about everyone going to college. It needs to shift. Trade schools certifications, the fact that not everyone will work in a career. There's much to be said there, and it needs to be addressed specifically from a male perspective and specifically from a female perspective, because fertility, motherhood, all of this plays a role in the entire conversation. So I really situate this question I have in that because I hope you'll go and listen to the episode. I'm linking it on social media as well as in the episode notes to the conversation I had about how not everyone should go to college. There's much to be talked about there. And hey, if you're someone maybe thinking about not going and you're wondering how to break the news to your parents, I actually talked a little bit about that as well from the parent's perspective. But let's take this question. James in Chicago emailed me earlier in the week and he said, I have to teach a high school senior and junior class at a Catholic school in the fall. He said, I want to stress asking the question, what does God want me to do versus what do I want to do with my life? He says, any guidance would be helpful. Okay, I actually think that this is a false dichotomy in a certain respect in terms of making this a secular versus a vocational question centered in God. I think we need to align the sense of responsibility we have for ourselves and others and working with a God-given purpose in the question. I think that's really significant. I think we need to be asking questions more along the lines of how can I know, love, and serve God with my full heart, soul, and mind in the career that I'm choosing to work in? There's so much that could be said in this respect. And I think that phrases such as that help us to focus how what I do with my career, what I do to serve others, what I do to provide for myself needs to be very human-centered in meeting my needs, but also helping others. And can I know, love, and serve God in the midst of that? And will I still, me and all my weaknesses and temptations, be able to still follow him in this particular job? Because I think that's the question we have to ask. So often I think we follow different skill sets that we desire or we're good at, 
but they're in industries that perhaps we aren't strong enough to enter into spiritually. Because our whole spiritual life is our whole life. And for some reason, we talk about going to church and then our career as if it's something totally separate and secular. Well, we might be living in a secular world today. That doesn't mean that we have to look at things from a secular versus religious perspective. We bring God into every area of our lives. And so when we talk about vocation and kind of rephrasing that question, of what does God want me to do versus what do I want to do with my life and career? I think we need to come back to this understanding that all of us are called to that universal call to holiness. And so how do we maintain that? Well, by staying in a state of grace, letting the sacraments be fundamental to fortifying us so that when we have choices, we're choosing things in a state of grace. So by regularly going to confession, regularly going to mass, that puts us in a better place. Now, is every high school student going to do this? No. But what I think every high school student needs to understand is that fundamentally God is calling them to be holy. And to be holy means to be set apart. Now, every person will have their own particular vocation after that universal call to holiness. Some will be single, priests, religious, married. But then within that, we have a day-to-day -day responsibility to provide for ourselves, to interact with other human beings, giving goods and services. So what will that vocation of provisions be for us? Plumber, accountant, cybersecurity, mother, you name it. All of them are many and different and various, but we have to be able to match our skills and our needs to each of us individually, and that includes that universal call to holiness, the culture we live in, the reality of what can provide for what my needs are, and focus on things from a provision perspective. And I think that's part of the whole conversation. If we look at this whole idea of career, I think the problem is that we put too much of an emphasis on career, not enough of an emphasis on provisions. The provisions necessary to live, to enjoy life. And then can I, am I strong enough to follow and pursue God in this particular vocation of work, plumbing, accounting, cybersecurity, whatever that may be? Sometimes that's what's so frightening. And I think high school students need to hear this, to understand the reality of free will. And that you're free to choose to do or to try to do whatever you want. Does that mean you'll be good at it? Not necessarily. Does that mean you'll be successful at it? Not necessarily. Does that mean you will enjoy it? Not necessarily. But understanding fundamentally that there's value to work. And that all of us have a responsibility in one way or another to provide for our needs. In fact, St. Paul, I mentioned this the other day when we were talking about the whole conversation surrounding college. St. Paul in the second Thessalonians chapter three says, if anyone will not work, let him not eat. St. Paul was specifically addressing a community there in Thessalonia that he heard was becoming very idle. And he shared how in toil and labor that he and the other disciples were working night and day so they would not be a burden on anyone else. So what do high school students need to hear? They have free will in choosing what they want to do. But just because you want to, just because you dream of it, just because you have a skill, doesn't mean you'll be happy in it, doesn't mean that you'll be successful. We have to match up our skill sets, our personal needs, and also the needs of the culture to find our place. And sometimes that means doing something that's less than ideal, maybe even getting our hands a little dirty, especially earlier on in the career, but at the end of the day can provide a means for living for us and those entrusted to our care. And that's a part of that whole high school conversation. Men need to understand because let's be truthful. 
High schoolers are young men. They are young men and they need to be spoken to as such. I think when we dumb down this whole idea of responsibility to high school students, boys really rise to the occasion when they hear, hey, become marriage material. Be someone who can get married. Be someone who can provide for others. Men love responsibility, but sometimes we don't encourage responsibility. We don't talk about practical ways of getting there. It's not just a matter of following your dreams. It's not just a matter of using your current skill sets. Sometimes you need new skill sets. Sometimes you need new dreams. Sometimes your dream is perhaps something that can be achieved later in life, but we have to live in the present. So all of this, I think, brings us to this whole conversation of work that I think is fundamental to what's happening in the culture right now, which is why I want to talk about work from the perspective of what's happening in Hollywood. There are thousands, thousands of Hollywood workers from screenwriters to actors who are protesting. It's a strike in Hollywood and it's triggered in part primarily by artificial intelligence. Writers and actors are actually losing work due to technological advancements. Everything from CGI to the fact that artificial intelligence at ChatGPT can actually finish a script that a writer originally pitched or was working on. And so you're seeing there's this desire in the screenwriting and acting world for protections from technological advancements, as well as the greedy thing we all want or sometimes need and isn't necessarily greedy, is an increase in pay. And so what you're seeing is that this is what's happening. There are two leading unions in Hollywood, and both of them are are on strike. We haven't seen something like this, and I think about 60 or so years in Hollywood that the strike is so significant that, I mean, there's a pause being put on a lot of content. I think that there's a lot of content that will not launch coming up in the fall. In fact, the last strike this significant of writers and actors was in 1960. And I remember maybe about 15 years or so ago, there was a writer strike at the time and many shows were canceled. A lot of people lost work. This one's even more significant and they've been going since May and it's not getting any better. So what's happening? Well, screenwriters and actors want more money, but they want protections, as I said. What we're seeing since the launch of ChatGPT that a writer who was already in the midst of writing a script working on a show, is suddenly being canceled or used less, receiving a reduction of work because ChatGPT can finish the original concept of the script, write all of the episodes or finish the movie, and boom, there you go. You've got a film and you use less resources. On one side of the spectrum, that's great for efficiency, productivity, as well as for the bottom line of finances. Films can get by with spending less money to produce the content. And we're in the midst of this whole culture where money is not being made in the same way for films, such as streaming issues. Not as many people going to movie theaters. We could go on and on about the impact today that we're seeing on both the music and the entertainment industry in terms of TV and movies. Is that necessarily a bad thing? I think many of us would say not so much so. I think a lot of people would say, hey, Hollywood actors and actresses are overpaid. There's too much money there and too much money isn't good for anyone. It's true. But what's also interesting is that where is the conversation about the crisis of jobs in general being taken away from human beings? Because after all, workers are being replaced by technology. I don't think this is anything new. We saw this with the Industrial Revolution 
with the rise of factories, factory workers into great technology that can do the job that a factory worker used to do. And you could even argue puts the factory worker not in as much danger. You have the invention of tractors that take out a lot of manual labor. You have the invention of irrigation systems, dishwashers. Real estate's been impacted by this with all the websites that host and give you the ability for virtual tours and to research online. Cybersecurity has been impacted by the advancements of technology, especially ChatGPT. Writers are being replaced. I am hearing about organizations, businesses everywhere in secular and religious settings who are firing their writers because ChatGPT can do the work and write the article. And so where is the crisis? Workers are being replaced by technology. So on one end of the spectrum, we could say, well, maybe that person just needs to find a new relevant job, which I would agree with in part. But at the same time, sometimes technology can go too far too. I know I personally desire to see a sense of human touch and character coming out in the articles I want to read. I want to sometimes read what that particular person said about this particular topic. If I were to read two articles, let's say one by my husband and one by a friend on something such as their view on topics such as same-sex attraction, I would learn about what this particular person thought. I might learn particular ideas from this individual, how this individual might be struggling with the topic, their perspective on it. And so I learn from them and I desire to hear things written in their voices. And it's interesting because someone commented to me the other night when we were talking about AI, about how all articles seem to have the same flow, seem to say the same thing. Why is that? Because AI is writing a vast majority of articles today. And some might argue, oh, well, Catholics are hung up on Catholic intellectualism. Sometimes, yes, Catholics, I agree, can be. But there's something to learning through writing and learning from others, having that particular perspective of an individual person on a particular issue. Because there's a touch, there's a human touch that is personal to everything. A particular person writes in a particular way, acts in a different way, sings in a different way, dances in a different way way. But bringing this back to the fact that workers are being replaced by technology, as Catholics and the Catholic social teaching on work, we always emphasize that the worker does deserve a just wage to be able to meet the needs in his or her life, according to our state life. Actually, this is interesting from the Catholic perspective. Wages aren't just determined exclusively by skill and where you're at in the corporate ladder, but also upon the needs of the family. I wish that would be a greater influence in the working wages mindset of who sets the dollar level for what people are making. But what's important, and this is why I really hope you listen to the episode from earlier in the week, and we'll post a link to it about why I don't think everyone has to go to college or should. Because I also talk from the perspective of the first words in Genesis. The first words in Genesis that Jesus Christ refers back to about the beginning, the dawn of the human person, and how the person was created to work, to till and keep, to cultivate the earth, to have dominion over the earth. And so all of this conversation surrounding screenwriters and actors should be a human-centered response, where we do use technology as a tool, and again, the genie's already out of the bottle, but that we do have a certain respect of understanding the beauty and the arts of the human touch, the human perspective, 
the struggle and toil and work. It's good for us to struggle and toil and work. And productivity is excellent, but sometimes if we're focused too much so on being productive in our jobs, we la- we lose learning from them as well. So while there are great things that we can do to allow technology to help with us in achieving the mundane in our jobs, there's not much to be said in not using technology as well to bring about the human dimension of the personal side of many elements of our work. And I think we're at a point in human history where all of us are having to discern how do we allow technology to be a part of our lives? Do we allow it to become a tool or does the technology begin to rule us? Do we become a slave of productivity, a slave of just using ChatGPT or whatever it is to get the task done? And maybe we're no longer learning. Maybe you find yourself in a position, I'm hearing stories about this, where you use ChatGPT to do work for you, which is great. It helped you to be productive, get the job done, maybe even go home early. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it was a task that you were having a hard time completing. But then you don't have competence in that area when you have to actually cover it as part of your subject matter. There's so much behind what's happening in Hollywood. But in all sectors of the world today, I think AI is influencing. Which brings me to what's happening with why actors are striking. It's a combination with everything that's happening with AI to an increase in pay. Also a debate over what's called residuals. That is, it reruns in streaming and how much and if actors are paid for when an episode of a show or a movie is played that they were in. But also part of the debate is surrounding background performers. What's happening because of technological advancement is background performers are being asked to come in and do a one-time digital scan. Once that digital scan is done, they are then using that as footage that can be used for, let's say, a whole series of the same show or maybe for other shows altogether. It's backstocked footage that can be used generically. It's often referred to as B-roll for any show or content. Now, it used to be, you know, I went to a film school and it major in film, but I had plenty of friends who were in film. They use B-roll. They might go outside and take different nature photos or video of nature. They might do a whole day of just recording sounds and how that sounds. It's all b-roll footage that could be used in various projects they have but now we're subjecting individual people to scans and then using their image their likeness their facial features their body and using cgi to manipulate and use that person technologically to move their body how the creator wants to use it and i'm talking about the creator of digital content from video games to movies to television with cgi so that that actor never has to come back again. And there's debate, well, will we be paid for that one-time scan? Will we be paid for every film and movie that we're in? Will we be paid for the residual reruns that we were in? So much is to be discussed. But here's what's interesting. Number one, as Catholics, we need to advocate for the value and dignity of workers, that people do need work. People do need a just wage. But also... I think there's something interesting that might happen because of the over-influence, over-use of AI. Because the cat's already out of the bag. Genie's out of the bottle. AI isn't going anywhere. Hopefully there are restrictions and hopefully we discern how we use it. But this may lead to the fall of Hollywood, which would be great. But what this might lead to, which I think would be riveting, is the renewal of the arts. Suddenly... Acting and writing is less about getting to Hollywood, getting a film made, 
but perhaps becomes more local again, where we appreciate in-person art. From short-form content, written content, to in-person plays, it could be really fascinating because I think that as we've seen for the last decade or two, where technology has increased and we've used it in abundance, and I'll argue technology in and of itself is addictive, we know this, dopamine, serotonin levels, all that, at the same time, there's a great desire for human connection, for the human physical touch, for the human perspective. And I think there may be a renewal for the arts. I think there's a good side to this. And flipping Hollywood on its back, getting rid of Hollywood could be a good thing, where good content yet again could enter its way into Hollywood, but also we have a different perspective on the type of content that we are enjoying as well. So (laughs) those are some thoughts I would love to hear from you on this topic. If you have any thoughts on how AI has triggered the strike in Hollywood with writers and actors or how it's influenced your own life in work as a tool, as maybe stymieing some of your growth, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. The number is 888-914-9149. I'll be right back here on Trending. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back. I got some questions come in. One that I briefly wanted to touch on. Books for kids. What would you recommend? Grandfather's asking for his kids. We've talked about a lot recently. And I love books for my daughter, my two-year-old in particular. But one of my favorites that is a go-to classic book. That is, it's known as one of the St. Joseph board books. And it has a little handle. It's a hard board book. And it teaches you all the fundamental teachings on the Blessed Virgin Mary. It's called Our Blessed Mother. And I will post a link to it. You can get it online for less than $8. But that is a great one. And there are great photos and fundamental teachings. Everything from the Immaculate Conception to the Nativity to Angel Gabriel coming at the Annunciation to Our Lady being crowned Queen of Heaven and Earth. You have to get this book. This is, I think, a go-to for just raising Catholic kids. And my daughter took to it when she was less than a year old. It's become one of her favorites. In fact, we left it on an airplane at one point and I reordered it because it's that good. So that's one that I recommend. There's another by Tan Books that is We're Building a Garden for Mary. That is really good as well that my daughter really likes. There are other great ones I would highly recommend. Check out Ignatius Press, check out Tan Books, and some of the other publishing companies because they have a whole slew of Catholic books from board books to a little more advanced page books. There's a new one uh, that recently came out that I've been reading on Our Lady by Scott Hahn and our guest that we just had on, Emily Simpson Chapman, that was really good. We just got that one in the mail. So I will post a link to some of my go-tos and also some of the recent releases that I have enjoyed as well. But I would say my go-to is Our Blessed Mother, the St. Joseph Board book that is just excellent in terms of Catholic doctrine and being really great for attention span. There's also another great one that teaches the Hail Mary and another one, Our Father. My daughter's known the Hail Mary, and I never outright sat there teaching her Hail Mary full of grace, but we read it over and over again. She also heard us say it in prayer and the rosary, and she prays the Hail Mary. It's actually really cute. After the radio show is done, 
she'll run into the room with me as I'm working for a couple minutes, working on wrap-up notes, and she'll slide on my headset. And she'll say, hi, Father Rocky. Of course, he can't hear her, but she listens to the Family Rosary Across America. And I remember I had no idea a few months back that she actually knew the Hail Mary. I never really heard her say it. She'd say little bits and pieces, but all of a sudden she's sitting there reciting the Hail Mary out loud, and it was with Father Rocky during, during the Family Rosary Across America because she would just sit and listen to him say the Hail Marys and pray the rosary, and there she was praying it. I think in part it was because of the book on the Hail Mary. I'd read it to her since she was little, so these were words and visuals put side by side along with the frequent repetition in our home. So those are some neat books that I would recommend. Again, I'll add a couple more to the list for the show notes. Just head over to relevantradio.com forward slash trending where you can always catch the podcast episode, share it with a friend, and check out all the resources that we mention there on the show as well. Or if you missed an episode, you don't have to miss one. It is there as well. You're listening to Trending with Tim Marie here on Relevant Radio. If you've not joined us, we're in the midst of a whole series on Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, walking through his 133 catechetical talks. Today, we're concluding the focus that we've been on all week of original solitude, that understanding fundamentally that in Genesis chapter 2, we read that before the creation of Eve, because there are two creation accounts, one in Genesis 1 when Adam and Eve are made at the same time, Genesis chapter 2, however, we see the creation of Adam first. He then names all the animals before God. And we read that God said, it is not good that man should be alone. What does this original solitude, as theology refers to, mean? Well, I mentioned earlier that from a philosophical and as well as anthropological perspective, it shows us the relationship between the soul and the body. That Adam is a body among other bodies, the animals, the plants, the rest of creation. But he's distinct in that his soul, his body and soul, are made for more, made in the image and likeness of God. He's the only thing created that was created in God's image and likeness. It's the only thing, he is the only person set apart, the only body set apart from the rest of creation with this distinct gift. In fact, Pope St. John Paul II says that Adam, that the first human person, is the only one able to cultivate the earth and subdue it. So we as human beings are the only ones able to have dominion over the earth and bring order. In other words, exercising our intellect and our free will and our human agency and activity, not ignoring the fact that God has a plan for our lives, that he has a blueprint for our lives, but that we can, again, subdue and bring bring into submission the earth. And when I say bring into submission, that we can't manipulate and force it to do what we want, but that there's order, that there's cultivation, that there's use for all of the created world. So at the same time, though, when we look at the creation of Adam first and this state original solitude before Eve is created, God says it's not good that man should be alone. We also have to ponder for just a moment in this state of original solitude what it meant for Adam to know that there was a tree. There was one commandment, the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and that he was given a commandment. In fact, we read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 through 17, you may eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For when you eat of it, you shall certainly die. What did that mean to Adam? What was death to him? Because he hadn't experienced it. And he hadn't seen the death of a human person, perhaps animals. I don't know the length of time necessarily between the creation of Eve and the naming of all the animals. 
if we believe in a literal interpretation of the story, even if you don't believe in a literal interpretation of the story, I go by the fact that this is what God presented, and whether it's literal or not, this is part of our anthropology, uh, the philosophy of the human person. It's part of our theology, and so we need to believe the key concepts that are there. So what did death mean to Adam, though, in the midst of this story? It meant, I would say, from what Pope St. John Paul II says in Theology of the Body, that while he did not know death itself, the human person, what Pope St. John Paul II says Adam would have understood is that this comment, this commandment from God that he can eat of everything but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest he certainly die— Adam would have understood that, Pope St. John Paul II says, as the at least the antithesis, he says, of all that man had in, had been endowed with, of everything he enjoyed up to that point. That the loss of life, that death, that God was saying he would experience, would be, again, the loss of what he had, life, how he had it. Adam walked in the garden with God. His experience would be radically different. And so at the same time, in the presence of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and what could happen if Adam ate from that tree, there was a different type of solitude in the life that would be experienced if Adam ate from that tree. And as we see, part of that is a solitude of loneliness and isolation, not because there aren't other human people, but because we don't properly understand our relationship with God. And we don't properly understand your relationship with others. Our horizontal and vertical relationships were severed in the fall of Adam and Eve, in the taking on of eating the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The death that occurred led to a solitude radically different from the solitude that Adam understood before. A solitude before Eve was created prior to the fall led him to a greater understanding of himself of his free agency, of his intellect, that he's also created for love, for companionship. That was a positive definition of original solitude. But once the fall occurred, solitude that came with the eating of the fruit of the, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil severed his relationship with, from God, from man, and the rest of creation. Chaos ensued and our tendency towards sin occurred. In the human person being like God, we understand more by understanding ourselves in relation to God than understanding ourselves in relation to the world. Part of the fall is this struggle with the earth, but also the struggle with knowing God, with loving him, with overcoming our sin. The invisible world, Pope St. John Paul II talks about, determines man more than the visible world. So in other words, the material world that we tend to focus so much on, material wealth, material happiness, material sexual complementarity. At the end of the day, although all of that is good, as God says, because he created that, we understand more about ourselves when we focus as well on the invisible world, our likeness to God, that we're made for relationship and love, the understanding of the pursuit of happiness. Even this in, within the context of the perspective of career and pleasure. I think there are many conclusions that can be drawn as we end this conversation on this key point Pope St. John Paul II is pointing to of this idea of original solitude, where we understand the historical state of man prior to the fall is that original state of solitude, 
that an original state of innocence and purity in the relationship of Adam understanding himself in that solitude before God. Today, when we talk about solitude, we often think of it from the perspective of loneliness, isolation, the abuse and despair we've experienced in our relationships, how we shut our hearts off, our bodies off, our minds off to relationships with other people out of fear of being hurt or harmed again. And yet solitude, in the midst of the darkness of the culture we may be experience, even the solitude we experience now after the fall, if we are choosing to pursue God, will lead us to a greater sense of ourselves, of our free agency, of our intellect, of our ability to know, love, and serve God of our likeness to God, that we're made to be with him. The answer to the crisis of our culture, predominantly today we see is a mental health crisis, influencing many areas and leading to many and various lifestyles, might I say adverse lifestyles, to the blueprint God created for us in the human person, for all human people, because we share in a common nature. That's actually what's significant. We're going to talk about this understanding of original unity, that after this understanding that Adam was alone in the garden, God created Eve, and God took Eve literally from the body of Adam to show this joint nature, this joint human nature, to show the goodness of the human person, the duplication of the human person, and to help Adam in coming to understand that, yes, he is radically different from the rest of creation, that can procreate and continue to bring forth its species and the plants and animals, but that in the procreation of the human person, in an act of love, in an act of self-control, that new life can come through the grace of God but through love itself. And that is what and who God is. And that's what we're created for. And when we understand from Pope St. John Paul II's theology of the body, fundamentally, that we're made in his image and likeness. And in that original solitude, Adam being the primordial human person, the representative of us all, we understand ourselves before God first, and then we understand ourselves before other human beings. And that's the journey that all of us have. I receive all kinds of questions all the time for different tips and resources for different states in life and experiences. At the end of the day, we can read all the self-help books in the world, and many of them can help us. But if we're too focused on self-help that is outside of the growth in our relationship with God, adoration of Him, being in awe of Him, and seeking to conform our lives to Him, as occurred with Adam prior to the fall in the garden, the self-help books will only last for so long. The changes we make to our lives will be fleeting. But in God, we are a new creation, as St. Paul says. And in God, grace can abound where our human frailty can get in the way of the relationships and various dynamics and bad habits and outright sin we struggle with. So I encourage you, go running to confession. Strive to live in a state of sin so that you can rediscover that original state of solitude that occurred in the garden so that you can be in a state of grace to live side by side in relationship with God and find that eternal joy and happiness. This is Tamara from Training with Timory. On the topic of same-sex attraction, same-sex marriage, a lot of people say love is love. 
and many other lines with regard to why they do or don't support same-sex marriage. But I'm going to talk on Monday to a woman who at the age of 23 entered into a same-sex marriage. She also wanted to become an Episcopal priest, but she has now converted to Catholicism in sharing her take on same-sex attraction. Join me Monday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio.